straight from the Holonet, you're listening to the Tashi Station Book Club, the bright center in the universe for science fiction and fantasy literature discussion. I'm your host, Nancy, and joining me this month is Megan to discuss Radiance by Catherine Valenti. Welcome back to the show, Megan. Hey, thanks for having me on. Those of you who have listened to the book club since its inception will remember that Megan was our first ever guest on to discuss Ancillary Justice. At the time, I thought that was a very weird book. <laughs> and Gosh, that was the first episode, wasn't it? Was. It was. Wow. So my um, my opinions of weird books have been revised since then. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I, um, I used the book club to a degree. You guys were taking suggestions. Mm-hmm. So to a degree, I used it to try and get more people to read books I wanted to talk to them about. And this <laughs> is one of them. That's good. I, I mean, I do the same thing. So I can't, <laughs> I, I can't fault you for that. So um, thanks, everyone for joining us again. Uh, we were absent last month, uh, due to celebration prep and other life things happening. Uh, we skipped April's book, but um, we're back. Technically, it's June, but, you know, it's only June 1st, so we'll still count this as May. Uh, And we didn't skip uh, April's pick. We're actually going to do a double pick next month because it's a novella. So but we will discuss that later on at the end. So um, I guess to start off this book, uh, I usually like to start off with a plot description. uh, And usually I just pick that from Amazon. Uh, and I, when I went to look up the plot description for Radiance, I kind of laughed because what the plot description is on Amazon is very different from what the book actually is by the nature of the way the book is written. <laughs> but um, for, for sake of the episode, I will read it here. Radiance is a deco-punk pulp, sci-fi, alt-history, space opera, mystery, set in a Hollywood and solar system very different from our own. From Catherine Valenti, the phenomenal talent behind the New York Times bestselling The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland in a Ship of Her Own Making. That's a very long title of a book. (laughs) Uh, Severin Unk's father is a famous director of gothic romances in an alternate 1986 in which Talking movies are still a daring innovation due to the patent-hoarding Edison family. Rebelling against her father's films of passion, intrigue, and spirits from beyond, Severin starts making documentaries, traveling through space and investigating the levitator cults of Neptune and the lawless saloons of Mars. For this is not our solar system, but one drawn from classic science fiction in which all the planets are inhabited and we travel through space on beautiful rockets. Severin is a realist in a fantastic universe. But her latest film, which investigates the disappearance of a diving colony on a watery Venus populated by island-sized alien creatures will be her last. Though her crew limps home to Earth and her story is preserved by the colony's last survivor, Severin will never return. Told using techniques from reality TV, classic film, gossip magazines, and meta-fictional narrative, Radiance is a solar system-spanning story of love, exploration, family, loss, quantum physics, and silent film. I, I would say that's pretty accurate. I mean, there's not a lot of action in it, but th- that seems pretty accurate to it's, me. Yeah, that's true. I I was kind of laughing when I was reading this because I was picturing the marketing person who had to write a blurb <laughs> and thinking, where do I start? <laughs> Well, I I love how they started with a string of, let's see, one, two, three, (laughs) if you count SF as one word, four, five, six, seven different genres. Yes. And and that about tells you what you need to know. (laughs) Very much so. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was was just amused thinking of people trying to uh, write a blurb for this book. Also... um, since since she had obviously published books beforehand, I'm assuming she did. She already had an agent when she wrote this book, but they did have to sell it to a publisher. So I'm imagining her like trying to write the synopsis for the book, 
And then I'm like, that's really interesting. How do you write a synopsis for books that are not told in linear order? Uh, so as just a writer, that that in, that intrigued me. <laughs> I don't know her story in terms of who her agent was or how mm-hmm. her career path went exactly. But after I read this book, I, I really loved it. So I wanted to find more of what she'd done. And what I found was that this is actually less weird than a lot of her earlier stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, the Girl Who, etc. series is a sort of young adult series, which is, it's good. It's very charming. But what she really uh, did when she first started her career were these experimental novellas Mm -hmm. that had almost no structure and were just these sort of dreamlike journeys. And I I have a collection of them. You can find a collection called The Labyrinth, I believe. Um, And they're, they're weirder. So I almost feel like this copy is a little bit easier than some of those. So, um, We'll just get out of the way our initial impressions of the book. Um, I asked Megan to come on because I knew she really liked this book. Um, And she had recommended it early on when we started the book club. So I figured I'd let her talk about it. (laughs) Um, Also because I knew that she really liked it and I did not. So (laughs) I wanted to get I wanted to get differing perspectives because that's the whole point of why I started this whole book club thing. It's because I was reading the same things all the time and I wanted to try new things. And I knew eventually I'd find a book that I didn't really care for. And that's actually fine. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I'm really interested to hear kind of what you think about it because it is very different. It, It doesn't read like what you would really expect when you hear space opera. Yeah. And I think that's, I think maybe if I had been in the mood to read something more weird, I guess it would have, uh, I would have liked it more, but um, I, it, it just, I, I, I felt very frustrated through most of the book. Like I really loved the idea and the world and I just didn't, know enough about it and learn enough about it and then every time like she would start a story thread I was interested in it would change um so so I think I think it was just frustrating and I didn't realize that there were going to be different ways of telling the story like the jumping around in time was like okay what but you you can kind of get used to that after a while um but the differing formats like the the when i when i turned the page in my kindle and got to the first part where it's like a script format and it went on for 30 minutes i was like oh (laughs) my god are you kidding me (laughs) and actually funny story i was in uh the the pool on the disney cruise i was just on recently uh reading the book because I have a waterproof case for my Kindle. If you frequent the pool or the beach, I highly recommend one of them. Uh, So I'm like sitting there reading it and Brian is like next to me and he comes up and he looks and he goes, is that in script format? (laughs) And I said, yep. (laughs) He's like, oh, don't let the people who didn't like Aftermath read this book. (laughs) I was like, yep. Yeah, it's... um. (laughs) Yeah, if you had concerns about the prose style in Aftermath veering off too far, um, I'd actually really recommend that you read this because it might kind of <laughs> blow your mind. Right? Yeah, like I, I like that's I, since I've started reading more widely, I I'm like, it's not weird at all. <laughs> like Aftermath is completely normal, you guys. Yeah, but um, and part of it is definitely just what you're to your taste like we'll talk about the prose style later on but um it's i I really like metafiction i liked house of leaves um raw shark texts is another one that are much more like blatantly metafictional than this and this book to me is it's not just that it's told in different types of narratives it is a deconstruction of how to write a book it's uh 
characters talking about how to shape a story, characters talking about what kind of perspectives their story is seen from, characters changing the, the story mid, cha- like, between chapters yeah. because they don't like how it's going. It was almost like a textbook of, like, how to set up a story to me. I did have some problems with the plot, which we'll talk about later <laughs> on. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that the the plot was the strength, but if you're going mm-hmm. into it for this creative formatting... That's, I think, what its strength is. Yeah. Um, So you had said that um, one of the things that you you wanted to discuss was reviewing books when it comes to books that you like versus books that you don't like, and how it's I some it's easier to explain why books don't work for you rather than work for you. Is that is that correct? Or or do you feel the other way? I uh, I do feel that it's easier. So I I review Star Wars books and the occasional other thing, and um, they're about like thousand word long reviews. And I always find it easier to get words out of something that I'm critical of mm-hmm. because I think it's very easy to pinpoint this part didn't work. This is the part where I was bored or questioning or something, and and describe that part. Whereas it can be harder to talk about why you like something so much, which is why I, I'm almost a little nervous to talk about this book because it's kind of like, you can't really project those positive feelings. You can say, this is what it meant to me or Mm -hmm. point to a particular spot. Like on Twitter the other day, I was just quoting passages from this book because (laughs) if you like I, I could say to you, if you like the first page, you will like the rest. Right. Um, but that's entirely personal. And I can say, like, I love that it's a super Baroque writing style. It's really colorful. And it's this sort of deconstructed story. But those things are harder for me personally to articulate sometimes. Do, do you think that as well? Um, I find that either if I really – I think for me it's the extremes. If I really love a book, um, I usually can find an angle to review about it um, and talk about it forever. Uh, Whereas if it's a book I really dislike, then I can rant about it forever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Books that, um, you know, books that I'm like, yeah, they're good. It's like, well, I don't really know what to say other than I really liked it or it was great or I loved this character, you know. Um, and, and like, even this book, like, it's hard for me because I can, I can list off, like, the things that annoyed me, the things I didn't like, but at the same time, I don't think it's a bad book. Like, I, I think this is a textbook case of not for me, um, and, or it just not for me at the time I read it, you know, cause, cause sometimes you can just be in the mood for different things. Yeah. But, um. I wanted to go ahead and just talk about the pros now so we can get that out of the way and then go into more <laughs> of the actual like book discussion. Uh, so like her, her pros I thought was like, you know, you had, you had tweeted some stuff the other day and it, it is very beautiful prose. Um, for me, I get really frustrated when there's no, when there's not a lot of plot, <laughs> Uh, and I think that's why this book frustrated me so much is because like I I really so about one third of the way into the book I'm like sitting there and I'm like what or no it was it was at, at the end of part one it was I was getting close to the end of part one and I'm like I don't know what the heck is going on in this book I don't know what the plot is um and I'm okay with there not being a lot of plot, um, depending on the story, but I was still just like waiting to waiting for it. And then I got to the part where, th- um, and how are we going to pronounce his name? And and cheesy and cheesies. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think there's a good way to say this name. Ankisis, <laughs> like Ankis- anchor. That's maybe? a better one. Ankisis. <laughs> um. So one when he when it was the part where he like got recruited to 
go find Severin, I was like, yes, I I like this development. I like where this is going. I'm in for this noir mystery sort of thing. And then that stopped. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's what yep. I want. <laughs> you uh, you wanted to see Percival's first draft. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then that was really frustrating as I realized that wasn't really happening. And I'm like, oh, this is Shadows of Mindoring it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that's the, the connection. Um, yeah, very much so. It's Shadows of Mindoring it. Although I think that part of the ending is to say that we're not sure how much any of this is happening. And like that's yeah. not a spoiler because that's not a plot point. That's more an atmospheric like argument the text is making mm-hmm. that every story is seen through a different lens. And I feel like his his story it happened but it didn't happen in any of those ways that Percival thought. And Percival is the, the director who's making a movie of the, the search for his daughter, Severin, right? Yeah. So I feel like that happened, but it didn't happen in any of the ways that Percival and therefore, like, the reader sees it as happening. Right. Um, so the <laughs> I wrote under the plot... <laughs> What exactly happened here? Because <laughs> there's basically the the whole, I guess, MacGuffin of the story is Severin disappearing on Venus. Um, and it is a MacGuffin. It is a MacGuffin, very there. much. Yeah. Um, and that was also frustrating because I it's kind of explained, but not really. And I hate when things aren't explained, especially when it's a mystery. Um, so your mileage may vary on that. But um, so I, I would agree with that. Actually, I felt the ending was was not as tightly written as the rest. Yeah. Um. So, um, the her story, the the story of her disappearance is basically told through an interview with Erasmo, who was her lover and also worked on the movie. Um, and he is uh basically giving a you know, a, a debrief of what happened. Um, and uh, the other thread is uh, her father, Percival. Basically, he's trying to write a movie about what happened uh, to explain what happened to Severin. But he he is not a documentarian like she is. He's a, you know, storyteller. So he is, um, you know, making up things and as he you know first it's a noir mystery then it's like a fairy tale then it's i don't know what it is it's kind of like a gather everyone in the room and point out the killer or something (laughs) um so and then there's other little kind of stories going on where there's like advertisements and gossip magazines and you learn more about like severin's childhood and um Percival's history and some other characters. Um, so yeah, and yeah. that's where you get the the world building that there is. All of it comes through these advertisements and mm-hmm. things. I'm trying to find a particular place because there's a line where um, Percival is talking to Mako, who's his like editor or who helps him on his movies, mm-hmm. and they're discussing what genre they want yeah. the story to be. And um, she basically, she's constantly kind of telling him that he needs to change his ideas a little bit. And um, one of the, I can't find the exact line, but she basically says, um, you can't tell this story directly. Like you as an author are incapable of telling this in a way that doesn't fictionalize it. So you might as well just go the whole way and make it really pulpy and really fictionalize it. Cause that's mm-hmm. the only way your truth is going to come out. Yeah. That, I, I, I did like that part. Um, it was, I, I think I would have liked more if we were able to get into the characters heads um, which I, I kind of had a problem with the the format a little bit because it was so hard to get into the characters' heads. Um, where like I mean it's a it's a 
father losing his daughter, like, you know, that's super emotional and wanting to find out what happened to her or tell her story. I mean, that's that is very emotional, but I didn't really feel that as much as I I would have liked to. Mm. Um, yeah, because fe- the whole thing is kind of casting yeah. the, the smoke and mirrors around that story. Yeah, and even though you and even though Erasmo's whole story is told in an interview format, um, and you, so you're not really getting into his head because he's talking to someone directly. I I I felt more emotional, uh, like emotional gravitas from him. Um, and that story and I like I really I really would have loved like the whole book like just about that expedition uh, and then like a second part of it being like trying to figure out what happened um, I don't know but mm, to make it more um, direct like, yeah more linear but that's yeah. not what I mean that's not what this book is so it's hard to say I wish it would have been this way when that's not what it, it was going to be anyway. So um, so what really happened to Severin? <laughs> this is a part I don't know. Like, she got swallowed up by whales, I yeah, think. Yeah, she, she ascended to another whale plane of existence, possibly. It's so I, weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely feel like there were a couple major kind of weaknesses in the plot and they mm-hmm. were the ending where we don't really know what happened. And um, I reread, I wanted to reread the whole thing before this podcast. I only got the chance to read through about half, so I may be forgetting some details. But I don't remember that you get any real answers to that question. Um, but the other thing is that, like, the whales themselves and the mystery of Severin are the the hook, like, right, yeah. the MacGuffin, you said. and. Within the book, uh, Mako and Severin, or uh, Mako and Percival, have this conversation about she's the missing woman. Like, you are kind of using her as a trope. There's always a woman. There's always a man questing to go after the woman. And while Mako points that out, the story doesn't really do much to subvert that. It doesn't outright, it doesn't return us to Severin's point of view and that definitely um it kind of your your mileage may vary because it plays around with a trope but it doesn't avoid the trope and that always kind of bugs me where um authors are going to kind of fall into the same thing they're trying to comment on right and uh I was interested to find recently um Catherine Valenti has a short story collection coming out called The Refrigerator Monologues coming I out. I've heard about that, yeah. It's it's actually uh, next week, I think. That's um, six stories specifically about women in superhero comics and how they're treated and the, the you know, the fridged woman who's kind of shoved off to the side of the story. So this collection is going to be her exploration of that trope and I really wonder whether she's going to do the same kind of thing I'm a little worried she's going to fall into the trope at the same time as she's trying to comment on it because of the way Severin was handled and I like generally her characterization is is far too complex for me to say well her female characters are like this but it definitely made me think of that collection when we started talking about the plot of this book. Yeah, and it's it's also it's doubly frustrating when that sort of um, you know, fridging a female character or I don't even know if I'd call it fridging in this book, but I mean it is definitely like the disappearing woman uh when that happens from a female author. <laughs> because you would think that we would be a little more cognizant of that fact but um yeah and there are there are a lot of female characters in the book but yeah yeah but none that really refute that trope as much as i would have liked and i think because we never get like her perspective i think that that makes it more um that make it makes it feel more of like oh she's just a trope or a plot point um, like I, you know, I'm not against ever killing a female character or using that as sort of a MacGuffin. 
um, cause it is a, you know, a, a very effective hook. Um, but if you, if we had gotten more of like what she was thinking and not just men trying to tell her story, uh, I think mm. it would have been a little better. And it was very much a story about men trying to tell her story, even though there were a couple attempts to, to inject other voices in there. It really was all about that. Yeah. And about sort of the different lights, literally and figuratively, that, that she was cast in. And um, it's kind of about family to a degree, too, because she uh, she has this sort of uh, Ancasis is her, like, adopted son. And then mm-hmm. she does not know her who her mother is, but had this, like, succession of actresses who sort of acted as her mother. And it's sort of about these, like, families that aren't necessarily um, blood related or, or aren't necessarily related in the way you'd expect, but they're also all very traditional, like one man, one woman type relationships. Right. And that was another sort of like thread throughout of like, who's her mother. And um, there was a side plot with her father, like being accused of murder. Uh, and eventually it came out at the end that like her mother was actually, um, the wife of I can't remember what his first name is, but the Edison in this in this time frame, yeah. uh, Pen- Penelope I think maybe her was her name. Um, I can't remember, but um, like that that is her mother, and like she was abandoned. Um, mm, so I was, the mother of the entire industry. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. But again, you never really find out for sure. Um, and going back to the the mystery and like revealing what happened at the end but not really um i think you know it's it's always hard for me to say like when when stories are weird or ridiculous because like i read star wars books they get really weird and ridiculous (laughs) and like you're willing to accept so many things in fiction but then there always comes like a a breaking point where you're like what the heck are you talking about? And for me, it was it was the space whales. <laughs> I oh, was really? like, well, huh. n- not not this, the not them exactly. Like, th- like they're fine. It was like, but basically, like what happened to her, and like she just kind of, like I don't know, became one of the them and went to the higher, like went to an alternate dimension or something. And I was just kind of like okay, I need to know more about this to accept it as what happened. Can you tell me the rules about this? Like, I realized that I'm I am willing to accept pretty much anything in a book if you will give me rules and an explanation for how it works. And when it just doesn't happen, I, I can't. And so, you know, if... So I'm wondering, like, the magical realism and those types of books, like, I don't know if I would ever be able to read those because I'd be like, explain to me how it works, you know? Mm. See, to me, this one explained enough that the whales being the one unexplained thing was okay to me because mm-hmm. it is such a strange world. It's yeah. um this, you know, the entire solar system has been populated. There are forests on Pluto. I just got to the part where Pluto is like, like hilariously yes e- extravagantly american like it's i a loved, parody i of, loved that oh, yeah <laughs> it's um so and and american history went different because there's a whole sort of native american uh country and then there's the like what our timeline thinks of as the united states and those are two different things mm-hmm. um and like Canada has a lot of political influence, but uh, the whales secrete this milk, I guess, that um, allows people to have to maintain the like bone density and the minerals and things that they need to live in this solar system. And I thought that that was a really neat detail and that the way they established how these different planets work and how they how uh, the uh, effects of space um mm-hmm. affect humans like if you live on the moon for too long you turn blue like all these yeah. romantic capital r sort of visuals of like the 
forest bridge between Pluto and and Charon. Charon, uh, not so great at pronouncing things in this book. Yeah. Um, um, they all these visuals were really really quite amazing, and I felt that the world was so consistent in terms of how people got around and what the different cultures were and how they all thought about each other. And the whales were kind of the thing that enabled it all. So the fact that the whales themselves were not explained too much was okay because to me everything else had been explained really well. Right. I guess for me, like the whales themselves, like being mysterious was fine. It was, I guess, just like what happened to her. Like I was just kind of like... Can you explain it a little more of how exactly she disappeared to whale land or wherever? Uh, but but that's just, like I said, that's just me. That's how my brain works when I read. Um, uh, especially because, like, they're, they're there to, um, to investigate the missing colony of Adonis. So then of course I'm thinking, all right, did this happen to everyone who was there? How the heck did Ankizis uh stay on stay there? Like was he just there by himself? What happened? <laughs> yeah. You definitely you, I would have liked more about the colony too, I think. Yeah. yeah. And and has this I'm assuming this has happened before with, like, with other like with other places. Um, yeah. Well, there's a mention of another, a place on Pluto that disappeared too. But yeah, I don't know which if is supposed to be the same. Yeah, because I was assuming it only happens where the whales are, and the whales are only on Venus. So, or are they only on Venus? I don't know. Maybe don't they're like know. the Purgles and they can hyperspace. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first thought. I'm like, oh my God, we have to tell Danny about the space whales. <laughs> <laughs> so many space whales i was thinking of the pergils and i was thinking of the ones from voltron especially <laughs> because there's like you harvest something from them in mm -hmm. voltron and so there's this little like cartoony whale that like sings a song about how you harvest a thing from them which happened in this book there's like the mascot for the advertising company is this whale and i was like oh this seems familiar Callie the callow whale <laughs> yes Oh, um, so we can go down and do the characters now. Obviously, we talked about Severin, um, and I actually really liked her, but it was really hard for me to, like, get into her, because you, you don't really get into her head, so it was kind of hard for me to relate to her, and I really, I really would have loved a whole book, like, from her perspective set in this universe, um, as she's like going and making her movies. Mm, I feel like from her perspective is a very loaded way to say it in this universe. That's, <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. She talks about how she only ever like she thought her father's face was the camera oh. for the first couple of weeks of her life. And that's she was so... afraid when she saw him. And <laughs> yeah. And I mean, but to like, I, I don't, I didn't really identify with her. I wouldn't mm -hmm. say that I like really liked her as a as a character in terms of identifying with her. I uh, thought she was a well drawn character. She yeah. had a lot of flaws. She had a lot of positives. She had a very strong worldview. But I didn't, you know, it wasn't like oh she's cool. Yeah. Um, and then we've got Percival, who is her father um, and a director of fictional films um and he was a hard character to like <laughs> for me um but i found him very interesting um again i think it's just because i found the whole world interesting and like the whole like movie sort of uh you know hollywood environment really interesting um but yeah, the whole idea of him like having to stage everything was just like really amusing and also kind of sad at the same time. Yeah, well, he's he's an idea, I think. And I haven't watched this type of movie that she's drawing from. Like I've seen images of the sort of black and white silent extravagant 
excuse me, extravaganza movies with like, I think that sort of iconic image is like a clam shell opens up and there's a yeah. like dancing girl inside. It's all that sort of thing. Um, and I don't know much about the history of that to say, well, like, oh, maybe he's based on this person or this style or something. But to me, he was definitely more an expression of a style than a character. Yeah. Um, and then there's Erasmo, who is per Severin's uh, lover. Um, there was a line from him that I really liked, and I can't remember what it was. Um, I don't know if I if I happened to highlight it in my Kindle, but it was where he he basically said something to the effect of he wasn't married to her, but that didn't mean that he wasn't her husband or something like that hmm. and I was like I really liked that like I just thought that was very not romantic but I just I, I really liked the sentiment of that um hmm. I'm trying to see if I can if I see any if I find any notes in here uh oh yeah she didn't want to get married doesn't mean I wasn't her husband and I, mm. I liked it, and I liked the way he said it because it, like, if I, I think he was probably my favorite character in this. I just really liked his voice. Huh. Really, <laughs> I, I was a little bored by him. To be honest, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of, I, I kind of, like, if you know us, I think that's not a surprise, right? <laughs> um, I think some of his. Like, some of his individual lines were good. Some of his emotions were understandable. But other than that, there just there wasn't a lot for me to latch on to. He was kind of along for the ride with Severin, right? Yeah. Um, so I also found... So I, I, was, I only made, like, three highlights in this book, which I guess makes it easier for me to find the things I highlighted. Um... The other one was I, I highlighted when Severin kind of explained what happened, but it's in her father's story, so it's you don't know if it's true or not. Uh, and she says, because I am a nexus point connecting all possible realities and unrealities, I exist in innumerable forms throughout the liquid structure of space-time, and neither self nor causality have any meaning for me. <laughs> So I love it. That explains book. <laughs> and um, it actually does. I mean, <laughs> the answer is there is no answer. The answer is it's different in every reality. The answer yeah. is you. The camera creates your reality, like yeah. all that. And Rasmus just kind of tagging along. Yeah. And then there's An Ancasis, which has his own kind of obsession with her. There's yeah. that scene in the beginning. And he kind of sees her as a mother figure because he was abandoned and then she found him when he was a child. But he also has this kind of, he sees her as a movie star. And there's a bit where he goes into the, the theater to watch one of her movies. Yeah. And it's sort of torturous for him, but he also loves her. And so he's there having these incredibly conflicted feelings. Yeah, I liked that a lot. That was, those those two scenes, the scene where he like goes to see her and there there's the like, the religious cult thing on uh, Neptune. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Synthera, like, recruiting him. Those were those were all the parts I really liked. And, like, I don't know if I... I, I also... I really liked Ankizis, but from these two chapters, <laughs> it was very, mm. like, I'm the detective, see? I'm gonna solve this case, see? <laughs> like, that sort yeah. of... That very, sort very of, much uh, so. Very brain noir yeah and then later i realized like the i have a friend who read about half of this and then got to the pluto part and was like this is too weird like i'm out <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah because it does I, I wasn't a huge fan of the the pluto part because it becomes very um kind of abstract and yeah that's and, the that's that's the word i've been looking for to describe all of this is abstract <laughs> Yeah, and it it very much all is, but that part is was sort of more indulgently abstract than the rest. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I liked, I really liked him during those parts, but it's it's really hard to say like what his character is like because you get him through 
uh, Erasmus story when he's just like a kid. And then you get him through the stories that are being told about him, which again, you don't know if they're true or not. And the, the one where he is um, the doc- Dr. Callow, that story, that was also like really weird. I'm like, is this really happening or is this all metaphor? <laughs> yeah, that was where I was like, this is it's a dream or he's just addled or the, I need to know. <laughs> Percival's just dealing with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, there's a f- a few other female characters, Synthera Brass, who we um, mentioned before. And like the scene on Pluto was kind of where I got really frustrated because you've got Ankeses, who is like, all of these things are happening to him, and you're getting his perspective, and it's just so weird. And then Synthera is just like, they're like, yep, this is normal. And she doesn't like remark on anything weird that's happening. And I'm like, uh <laughs> okay <laughs> huh i there's there's the sort of one bit where he he kisses her and yeah. for like sort of no apparent reason like he never liked her mm-hmm. she was his employer basically um and she's like and he's like oh it was such a great kiss and she like looks at him with disgust and he's like well that was the end of that and I was sort of like <laughs> why I, I I thought it was sort of unnecessary like did, did we really have to like did he really have to try that you know and otherwise she's such a distant character and she's described as alluring but very distant and sort of authoritative yeah um, and there's Mary Pelham who is probably the most present of all of Percival's wives. Um, She was kind of like uh, Severin's first mother, so to speak. And she, um, I I liked her story, uh, like kind of like being an early actress and then eventually becoming like this mystery uh, star. And she's another character I would have liked a whole book about, like, her rise in this sort of universe yeah and she her attitude's kind of interesting because she outright says like she's willing to do anything to become a movie star she's willing to be like in really sleazy company and to because she knows she's just one of so many kind of interchangeable women almost and she she thinks of them as interchangeable um who are trying to like become stars so mm-hmm. again like not or don't really understand that attitude but it's a type right it's that sort of example of like the black and white actress that everyone's obsessed with mm-hmm. yeah um I, I i was just thinking i remarking to myself that it's I, I I I'm like I want I want a story about this character and like I want a down to earth story that's set in this world that is completely not down to earth and like I'm totally fine accepting the fact that like people just fly between planets and like I don't need explanations of like how people live there and everything but like then the whole thing about uh like ascending to a plane or having the space wills that it's like that's too much (laughs) (laughs) and that's kind of like where i'm like yeah yeah it's definitely me definitely me thing (laughs) yeah and i mean that's that's certainly a, a a me thing too like i think it's it's definitely a taste thing because to me if you did a linear story in this world i'd be like well, why would I read anything about this world as opposed to yeah. like Star Wars or any anything else? I I think a linear story in this world would be awkward, mm-hmm. and sort of the whole point is that it's it's not linear. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I agree with that too. <laughs> um, and then there's the space whales themselves, the Callow whales. Um, and again, we don't really know exactly what they are. Are they whales? Are they something else? Are they wormholes to another dimension? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. And they're like sometimes they're described as very much like animals, and sometimes they're described as this kind of vague, creepy, grotesquery thing. Yeah. 
And I want to know who who was the first person who thought we should milk these whales because then we'll be able to stay in space. <laughs> How did that? Well, they they mention um, the first like space travelers in here that like launched from Hawaii. So yeah. I presume it was them. Yeah, crazy, crazy people. Um, so the book isn't really heavy on plot, but it's really heavy on theme. Um, and I actually, I actually really liked that about the book. Um, there, they, there's a lot about beginnings and endings. Um, you know, Percival remarks on it a bunch of times about how, like, there can be a ton of, was it a ton of beginnings and only one ending or a ton of beginnings or only one beginning? And I can't, I can't remember what it was. I think it was, I think it was. There, at least I remember it was many beginnings. It was like the story okay. begins at a different place for every different right. person. And I, as a as a writer, I appreciated that because one of my hardest things to do is when exactly to start a, a story. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I don't know where it should begin, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I did like that whole idea. Um, the other main one was about point of view and you mentioned before like a whole story about Severin from Severin's point of view wouldn't really work because you the whole point of the book is that everyone has a different story and everyone tells a story differently and sees things differently Um, which I think for that sort of theme this type of book is the way it's written is actually perfect for that theme because everyone's going to come and get something different out of this book Hmm. Yeah, and I don't I don't know that the book itself holds a mirror up to the reader per se because the book controls its own camera so carefully. Right. Like it that's part of what was so engaging about it to me that it gives you almost a pinhole to look at the world through because by virtue of the kind of vocabulary that it uses and you can only see these like very small very dense bits of information at a time which is why you don't have answers to questions like what what are the whales um but that idea of like it's not that the reader can supply i wouldn't i'd hesitate to say that this and a lot of books are about this, but I'd hesitate to say that this one is about the reader supplying their own ideas. It's more about how the reader, people in general, people in the real world, see their own stories through mm. a lens or see them through other people, maybe, or how um, it, it's, and it's not, it's metafictional, but it's not a commentary on the movie industry. I would, I would say I don't want to get too like far away from what you were saying before, but I'm tempted to say it's a commentary on like genre in the movies, but it's really mm-hmm. not. It, it keeps this this line, this you know, lens between the real world and this fictional world. Yeah, um, and I I I feel like. The way it was told to in the different formats also does a way of um, of keeping that sort of point of view very tight, um, showing you only what you want to see. Um, because, you know, it. I as I was reading the book, I'm thinking, OK, I don't understand what's the point of the this gossip column, you know, or this advertisement for for the the callow milk or whatever uh and in the beginning that was that was frustrating it was very um it seemed like it happened more in the beginning of the book and as you got further on there was less of that i guess because you're more into the world which makes sense um Mm. and you know if i had more time i would probably go through and like look at all of the the what I would consider extraneous parts of the, um, of the the book to see, like, okay, what was the point of actually putting this in here? Because I don't think she put anything in there just so, just for the sake of it. You know, I, I'm sure every every little, uh, you know, 
advertisement or a gossip column or what or diary or whatever was supposed to like shed light on a certain thing um but again with the whole idea of like books just not working for you um i i have a really hard time when i when books want me to engage with them a lot <laughs> i'm a very lazy reader uh and there are, <laughs> and there are some things that like you know like i like i like a mystery and i like to figure things out um one of my my, like my favorite book is The Icarus Hunt by Timothy Zahn and it's it's a very straightforward story however you re like you realize something during the book and then you want to go back and reread it to try to find the clues um but like this sort of this sort of book where you're trying to like they want you to figure things out that's kind of where I disconnect um, and I'm the same way with movies too, like Interstellar. Oh God, no, I could not do that movie. <laughs> uh, well, kind of to go back to the Star Wars connection, mm-hmm. the the asides in this book were very much like to me they were like the interludes in and the aftermath series, where they kind mm-hmm. of showed you parts of what's going on in, in other parts of the world, and they were for world building purposes. And then I think some of them, especially like the cow milk advertisements definitely went sort of went on and on. And you could see they're just the author playing around. She's just having fun. And as someone who sort of likes to think that I can write, I like to do that like Baroque style. That's how I prefer to write on my own. And so it's kind of fun for me to see somebody else just playing around and just going like, word drunk and saying all these <laughs> strange evocative things and I, I really liked that about it i will but, say that her prose is gorgeous and i will never be able to write prose like that ever so i'm not even gonna try <laughs> it's it's incredible um and she's talked about a lot of her influences she read a lot of classics when she was really young and somehow that, that makes a lot of sense this yeah um but the thing that they mentioned in the the prologue, right, and we were talking about this a little bit before the podcast about how <sighs> agents typically um, recommend or – hang on, let me start again. When authors are trying to query to agents, the guidelines will often say don't include a prologue for whatever reason. They want you to get right to your story. Mm-hmm. And this, the, the beginning, is a prologue which directly addresses – how prologues are not in fashion anymore. Yep. And it it goes straight to I put it on Twitter, but I kind of want to just read it again cuz it goes straight to um prologues were a thing in like the Greek chorus and they they have this long tradition and they're really powerful and she kind of defies the trend. But um and defies it very you know explicitly. But there's a uh this scene setting where the cameras are actually it's like you're in a movie theater but there's no screen it's a bunch of people and the movie is projected onto them and you are watching it on your own body so i guess that's kind of a literal explanation of what i was kind of fumbling through before when like there both is a separation between the fiction and the reader and there's also no separation at all it's not from your point of view, but it is projected onto you. And yeah. she, she makes it very literal in the beginning and the end. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I was just reading and I'm like, is this a prologue from the point of view of a prologue? Yes. <laughs> this is yes, so is. meta. <laughs> uh, hang on, I'm going to read it because I love it so much. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm just going to resist, but... Um, Do it. Uh prologue has time and again found the doors to more fashionable establishments closed to her um she was fashionable when plays still began with sacrifices and if you catch her in her cups she will tell you that any show that jumps into the action without a brace of heifers burning center front still strikes her as a rather tawdry affair (laughs) i can't hardly like pull in enough breath to read that whole sentence but i adore it yeah that was a good sentence yeah. Uh, um, we kind of touched on this earlier, but the whole idea of missing women, um, and then you had also added like actresses as a myth. 
Yeah, well, I added that specifically because of the bits with with Mary Pelham where she talks about kind of making herself be what the audience wants her to be and what these studios want her to be. And yeah, I think we talked about most of what I had to say about that before, but it's there there are I mean, there are like working class women in the book. It's not like there aren't any who are not actresses, but the ones who are front and center are these people who have had either wanted to be actresses or like Severin was sort of forced to be actresses um, from when they were very young. Right. Um, so let's talk about the world. Um, so it's described as deco punk. What would you explain deco punk as? Cause I oh, man. don't well, it- really know if I know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's our deco. So a lot of, brass a lot of gold a lot of like spiral motifs and shiny like lacquer surfaces um it's uh other than other than saying it's like art deco inspired i'm not sure how far like how much more i can describe that because i don't know the history of art deco I, I know it when i look at it but yeah yeah but that's that's about all it's that's real and the, the prose does that too really complex really beautiful but then a little um maybe it sort of twists in a direction you don't expect it to yeah and as we mentioned from the plot description there's a lot of different genres <laughs> decopunk pulp sci-fi alt history space opera mystery <laughs> it's like yep that's all of those things <laughs> um i i loved like I said before, I loved the alternate history aspect of the book, and I wanted to know way more about it, which I know wasn't the point of the book. So I will be content to just think about it on my own. <laughs> but I just love the whole idea of treating the solar system like, you know, like traveling through the solar system is completely normal. Um, and that, you know, you don't need to address like how do people live on other planets how do they breathe like do we have terraforming you know it just it just is um and i want to know like how that started like who who, when we when did we explore were there astronauts (laughs) why did hollywood move to space (laughs) i want to know all these things because of the the um the light living space on the moon i think and the light I know they talked a lot about how Venus, like, the light was great. And I I did love that she went into the whole, like, a year on Venus is the same as a day on Venus. Um, yeah. And, like, cool. Pluto, humans haven't been even, haven't colonized Pluto for long enough for it to go around for a whole year. Yeah. That's, I liked that a lot. Um my some of the some of the history was really interesting and i do think it was well put together i kind of love to describe this book to people because you just because there's so many genres you you see them sort of like think they get it and then you go on and be like oh yeah and also there's no sound in movies and it's like what yeah (laughs) Um, but the some of the details were kind of kind of goofy and funny like emily dickinson went to pluto and spent some time there and like robert frost oh i totally missed that (laughs) yes i actually i only that must have been where i was skimming (laughs) i i just got to that part and was like lol of course emily dickinson wanted to get as far away from people as possible that she literally went to pluto (laughs) and there are probably other sort of like little jokes and details that i didn't get because i didn't recognize the name of the person they were referencing because Mm -hmm. i don't know you know 1960s film history yeah um so um the, the other thing I liked was, like, not just the solar system, but the history of the, the movie industry in itself. Um, the whole, like, Edison's hoarding the patents and not being able to speak in movies and, like, um, that the whole, like, indie films where they just kind of do it anyway. Like, I, I thought that was really that was really neat. And I, I, I would have liked I would like that would be a cool, like idea for a story like that's like like taking place on regular earth like where the movies turned out that way uh probably just because i love the movie singing in the rain so much uh, mm-hmm. but i think it would be kind of a kind of fun thing like that 
Oh, I mean, it's 1986 without Star Wars, right? Yeah, and, like, I'm so, like, I was so confused. I'm like, when was it 1986? Like, I was so confused about the timeline of the book, and I had to go back and, like, I I still don't understand it fully, but. I definitely found myself, it felt more like the 1920s, which I think is part of the, the point. But um, I wouldn't have guessed that it was 86. And like, so so where is George Lucas? Like, what happened <laughs> to George Lucas without Flash Gordon? Like, where oh. is he? A prospector on Pluto? Like, where is he? <laughs> oh, I don't want to think about that. I don't think about the world without Star Wars. And there's one character who hears um, Over the Rainbow on the radio uh, and doesn't recognize it. Like, it's uh, not well known at all. Like, Wizard of Oz is like an indie movie. So you're making me want to go back and reread the book, but I'm not going to. (laughs) Um, There was a line I found, my other highlighted line, that I just found it really, I don't know what I found it, but it's um, one of Severin's um, scenes, like, uh, I think it's the the Saturn, self-portrait on Saturn movie. Uh, and the line is, what's the point of screwing somebody once you've gotten that close? It's redundant <laughs> yeah i found I that, that really too. funny and, and, and also insightful about... what <laughs> also insightful in a weird way <laughs> yeah and that's remind me is that the part where she's talking about she was acting with someone or she's she worked she wrote the movie with them i right? think so yeah uh Vin- yeah no it, it was, was about is about vince uh uh it says, uh, Vince found me. Vince brought me in out of the dark in the wet. Vincenza Mako, who never slept with my father, but outpaced all the women who did by miles. Yes. She wrote yeah. his movies, every one. What's the point of screwing somebody once you've gotten that close? It's redundant. Yeah, Mako and, and Percival. I'm like, I mean, as a writer, that was like, I don't, I mean, I don't know that I, let me backtrack. Like, <laughs> As a writer, I know that collaborating with someone and sort of bantering back and forth with them is a very personal thing. And you become, you know, you have to be really on the same wavelength as someone to work with them. So that line made me think about that. Yeah. And also, like, it's like it's it's very true. Like there is like there's something to be said by that sort of like mental and emotional connection. Um, And it reminded me a lot of like, you know, people talking about can men and women really be friends without ever be turning to romance? And it's like, well, yeah. And like, I found this was like, you know, something that someone might say. It's like, well, you know, I you can be really close to someone and not have that romantic aspect. Um, so I just yeah. found that like from a psycholog- from a psycho- psychological point of view. Also, the story like writing and storytelling is also and collaborating yeah i think that was and i do i guess kind of want to walk back a little something that i said earlier which was that it was mostly about like straight relationships there there are a couple mentions of like same-sex relationships mm-hmm. and then there's there's this this extremely intimate platonic relationship as well yeah yeah i did i did i did notice like though i'm like that they're I don't I don't want to say like it it was very straight and heteronormative but like I I think maybe just because of it being like old fashioned like in the style of the story and like the the genres itself and like that it's that I it kind of came across that way to me um it wasn't ever anything like that really stuck out but um Because it was only ever mentions yeah. of – I don't think we ever actually met, like, a same-sex couple in the present time. Right. Yeah. I think. <sighs> but I, I don't know. I don't remember <laughs> exactly. So maybe don't quote me on that one. <laughs> All right. Well, we've gone for over an hour for a book that I didn't really like. So <laughs> I want a <laughs> pat on the back. <laughs> no, just I think kidding. We've established that you know it's it's for some people and it's it's not for no. others, and you'll know really quickly yes, whether or not you it's will for you. like. And and we were talking about this in this the Slack that we have for the Patreon. Um, and you know, someone had said that they they you know they they had to stop reading, and I'm like, that's and like that's fine, you know, that's you know, 
if you, if you tried it and you, you decide it's not for you, that's that's completely fine. And like, you know, I I made myself read it because that's the whole point of the book club for me. Um, and like, you know, I'm not I'm not picking books that I don't think I'm gonna like you know, obviously, because I have better things to do with my time. Sure. <laughs> but but I do, like, I, you know, the whole point is to expand your horizons. So if you're not doing that, what's the point? So, yeah. Um, and then you, just, you might find something that you really like and go yeah. try to read everything the author ever wrote when she was in her indie weird, <laughs> like, uh, like, experimental phase. That <laughs> if is you want true. to do that. <laughs> That is true. Um, so, yeah. Um, anything else you want to add? I don't I can't. No, I think, I, I think that's, that about covers it. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about the book. Um, I always love when you come on and talk about books, so I'm going to have you on more. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. I, uh, I do love talking about books. And we've talked about The Stars Are Legion, which is one of next month's book club yes. picks on uh, Western Reaches recently. Yes. Yeah. West, uh, you probably know Megan from our sister show, Western Reaches. They have a lot of book discussion there. Um, so if you like this and want more of it, go, go check them out. Um, and yes, we will be discussing uh, Stars or Legion next month. Um, I started reading it and it's weird. <laughs> very weird it's very weird in a different way i'm i'm uh, radiance yeah um so yeah thank you very much for joining us for another episode of the book club uh we brought to you by you our patreon subscribers please click the links on the blog to help support the show if you're so inclined uh we have a new we have some new levels where if you uh if you pledge uh, $5 a month, you get access to the Slack group um, where we have channels for all of our shows, one of them being the book club. So you can go in and find us there. Um, and we're also on Twitter with the handles Tashi underscore station, Nancy Pants. It's Nancy with an I and Megan, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter at, at blog full of words or at uh, blog full of words dot blogspot dot com and have various various writing outlets listed there cool um you can find our columns and news at tashi-station.net and our book club discussions are over on goodreads we're not as active there but we do ha i do try to start a a thread for each book that we have each month so um come on over and join us if you haven't yet um we'll be back next month technically this month but <laughs> we'll be back at the end of june uh for we have two picks this month. Uh, we have The Stars or Legion by Cameron Hurley and Binchy Home by Nettie Okorafor. Thank you all for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.